Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I am Rita Cosby. The Department of Education just released some stunning and very troubling details showing that reading and math scores for students saw their steepest decline in decades during the COVID pandemic. Now, this comes as President Biden just announced a massive student loan debt relief, and basically full forgiveness for many people. But who is really paying for all of this? Joining us now to discuss this and much more is the former Secretary of Education under President Trump. She is also the author of an awesome book. It's a national bestseller, Hostages No More, Secretary Betsy DeVos. Betsy, great to have you here on the show. Rita, it's just great to be with you. Thanks for having me. You know, this report is stunning that just came out. It basically says that nine-year-olds had their steepest, basically, drop in scores for reading and for math. Stunning numbers. In reading, it's by five points. Math, it's by seven points. What does this mean for kids and also for America? Well, it's tragic for kids, and we've known that this was the case after the month-long closure of schools and the continued reluctance and, in fact, opposition on the part of the system that led by the school unions, the teachers' unions, who wouldn't let kids back in school. So this is not a surprise, but it is a heartbreaking tragedy for so many. And when you look inside those numbers, it's even more troubling because kids at the top performance end of the spectrum, their scores dropped, but the kids at the bottom end in the lowest 10th percentile their scores dropped dramatically more than the other kids did. And they're the ones who were locked out and kept out of school the longest and could least afford to be out of school. So this is going to have an effect on this whole generation and on all the generations living with this generation. This is a very, very, very troubling report. And the reaction to it is to do more of the same on the part of the status quo which is exactly why parents are mounting up and saying, enough, no more. We want choices and we want options for our kids. You know, you brought up the disparity, too, in the results here. And one of the things, too, is also that white students lost, for example, a math by five points, African-American students by 13 points, Betsy. That's stunning. It is. It is. And as we said often, while all of these shutdowns continued and lingered and kept getting extended, these are the kids that need to be in school, in the classroom, face-to-face, and these were the ones that were harmed the most. They, along with so many other children, whose systems failed them. And, you know, families had a front-row seat to see this firsthand, how much the system is oriented around the system itself and the adults not around what kids need. What is your message also to teachers unions? Because as you talk about, they played a role in this, as you believe. They actually led the way on this. They were the ones that continued to push the CDC on extending requirements and guidance that kept schools closed, that gave them the excuse to keep schools closed. 
not to be in the classroom, to be, you know, on distance learning for months longer than it was even advisable or necessary. And they really are to blame for this overall tragedy. Yes, we had to take measures immediately when the pandemic struck, but it was very clear very soon that it was safe for kids to be in school. And we saw workers in every other venue that needed to be there, whether they were healthcare workers or those on the front lines serving us in groceries or gas stations, all of the different professions outside of teacher, you know, not the teachers themselves, because I know many, many teachers were longing to be back in the classroom with their kids. This was really a union driven effort to keep schools closed to extract billions of dollars from the federal government to support more of the same thing that is failing kids year after year. And when you see two, more than 2 million kids having left public schools in the last couple of years, in the last year, year and a half, and those are the ones that have left to date, people, you know, families are finding other answers and other solutions. And we need to be there with policies that are going to support all families' ability to do that, to give them options and choices, because it's clear that this government-run, teacher union-controlled system has failed kids. Yeah. And why are they not waking up? Just as you said, their result of this is do more of the same. That doesn't make any sense. No, no. They just want to double down on more spending and do more of the same thing, which even well pre-pandemic has harmed and failed all too many kids. I mean, this is something that I have been trumpeting for more than 30 years. You know, the emperor has no clothes and now people can see, everyone can see that the school unions that have controlled this and these government-run, top-down, one-size-fits-all approaches aren't working for kids, and they've failed families across this country, and families are voting with their feet if they have the resources to do it. We need to make sure they get those resources that are already being spent on their kids and let the families choose and decide, not impose a system on them that isn't working for them. What do you say to the mayor of D.C.? Because she continues to say kids can come back, but with masks. She still seems to think the pandemic is continuing. Well, whether it's masks or, in her case, also trying to mandate vaccines for every child. I mean, these are folks who aren't interested in doing what's best for kids. They're interested in power and control. And it's evident that their power and control is failing families, failing kids, and, you know, setting us up as a country for a, you know, failed future if we don't turn the ship around and make sure that kids who have fallen so far behind have different and good opportunities to actually learn and catch up and succeed. What do you say also to parents? Because parents are just getting so many mixed messages, like they're hearing from what's going on there in D.C. And then it's like there's still a little bit of this piecemeal as kids are going back to school. Well, I just encourage parents to stick together and to advocate on behalf of their kids. Parents know what their kids need best. They're the ones that love them the most, and they're the ones that are most concerned about each child's future and their ability to learn and to be mentally and emotionally well. These test scores are one thing, but we also know what a negative impact all of these closures and mandates and everything have had on kids emotionally. 
And so families, I just urge and encourage parents to stick together. We're seeing lots of grassroots organizations form up to give parents a voice and make sure that they are heard in their ability to direct what they want for their kids. And that's a very good thing because we're seeing policy and politicians take note and make change as a result. What was your reaction, Betsy, to the fact that the education secretary now, Miguel Cardona, came out and he basically was blaming the Trump administration for its handling of education at the start of the pandemic, which just seemed absurd when these results came out? Well, you know, it's very interesting to hear him and others in this administration try to blame everyone else for self-imposed problems. Everybody knows what happened initially, and we in the Trump administration were actually calling for schools to be open again later in the spring of 2020 and certainly in the fall of 2020. And we did everything we could to help ensure they had the resources and all of the materials and things that they needed. You know, Congress appropriated those emergency funds. And interestingly, when the fall of 2020 came around, less than 10%, it was more like 3% of those funds had actually been accessed to make schools safe and to make opening back up again an opportunity for kids. And so the excuse that they didn't have the resources or whatever the excuse is are simply that, excuses. And they're trying to point the finger at a place where it shouldn't be pointed. They should be looking in the mirror and pointing at themselves because it's their defense of a system and a status quo that refuses to change, that refuses to do the right thing for kids, that has been the problem. And parents and families have awakened to that. And now they're trying to put that genie back in the bottle and blame something else, but it's not going to go back. Why do you think they're doing it? It's just easier to point the finger somewhere else. It's like everything seems to be blame Trump. That seems to be the motto of this administration. No, absolutely. And when you see all the other areas, they are negatively impacting students by policies they're trying to impose, trying to shut down the expansion of charter school options for families, trying to change the important and valuable and good rulemaking we did around sexual misconduct on campuses, trying to totally upend it, and then going to student loan debt forgiveness in a totally illegal an unfair way. I mean, all of the things they are doing in and through the Department of Education in the Biden administration is ultimately to the negative benefit. It's negative for families and for kids, and it's negative for taxpayers. And they can try to point the blame and you know point fingers everywhere else, but the blame lies right with them and the policies they continue to promote that continue to defend and protect the status quo and demand more and more money to do it. And again, I think finally folks are waking up in the country to this. I am thrilled to see the momentum around change and giving families the power to make these decisions for their families and their kids. It has to continue to happen, and it's happening at the state level. It needs to happen federally as well. And you look at the success of even Governor Glenn Youngkin there, for example, you know, you think about in Virginia, where he really 
called out some of those policies that you and I are just talking about. And that was a huge success for his campaign. What do you make of the fact that so many, and it came all the way from the Department of Justice, you know, that memo that everybody was talking about that Glenn Youngkin and others have addressed, Betsy, was where they were labeling parents domestic terrorists. So often parents who did speak out were getting chastised from it from the government. Absolutely. And parents who rightfully want to go and ask questions of their school boards and raise issues at their school board meetings, then being uh, subject to FBI investigations and labeled domestic terrorists. I mean, this is just inconceivable. And we saw how families and others who are paying attention to this reacted when, you know, Glenn Youngkin gets elected. And now we have many candidates who are being elected in primaries and for whom in general elections, this issue around education and empowering parents and giving kids choices and options is, you know, close to the number one issue. It's probably right behind inflation and the impact of rising prices on a family's budget. And this is going to be an important cycle for electing folks who are going to stand with families and stand with kids. We're seeing this shape up in Florida where former Governor Charlie Crist, who used to support these types of policies for children, has done a 180 and he's now picked as his running mate, the head of the American Federation of Teachers Miami chapter, also a vice chair for the AFT, as his running mate. And it is just amazing to me in a negative way that this is what he has doubled down on because families in Florida, voters in Florida know how important and how helpful education freedom and choice policies have been for students in Florida. Charlie Chris, just another Terry McAuliffe. And these races are going to be really important bellwethers for turning the tide and putting the power and control back in families' hands to direct their kids' educations down the road. This government-run monopoly has failed kids, and that is all the more evident today than it was two years ago. And just as you said, boy, what a contrast to also Ron DeSantis, the governor down there, too, who really has done the exact opposite, where he is putting, you know, families back in to feel empowered to make decisions for their own kids. I want to also talk with you about changes to Title IX, because, of course, that prohibits sex-based discrimination in any school or educational program. Talk about some of the proposed changes and threats to that. Well, Rita, as you probably know, we did an important round of rulemaking. We actually put into law how campuses must deal with these issues when they arise on campus. And I would just say, you know, that we even have to do this is very regrettable. But I heard from so many students that had been victims themselves and other students that had been wrongfully accused and then denied due process. The framework under the Obama administration set up kangaroo courts, took away due process, and took out of the hands of those who were wronged any kind of control over what happened in their situation. We made sure at the end of our process, the rulemaking we did, that we had a fair, reliable framework that was going to put those who were wronged in charge of their, you know, what happened after they were wronged and was going to ensure for those who were accused due process. 
this administration is not only proposing to roll that back completely and put into place what they call a single investigator model where a Title IX coordinator on campus who already generally comes in with a bias toward anyone who files a complaint will be the detective, the judge, the jury, and the administrator of any kind of result of that process all in one person with no other individuals involved, no other objective view into this situation. And not only that, but they are also proposing to extend the biological definition of sex to include gender identity and anything else that you might want to throw into it. Whatever you happen to decide you want to be at any given moment would be protected under the rule that they are proposing. This is such an attempt to advance a far-left agenda through rulemaking that is well beyond the bounds of Congress. And I just encourage any of your listeners, if they want to weigh into this, and we hope they will, go to a site called protecttitle9.org, and you can enter a public comment. The public comment period is until September 12th, and we need to make sure that they hear from everyone how wrong and how bad this is for students, ultimately, and then ultimately for parents, because this, what they have proposed, will ultimately also take out of parents' hands any ability to learn about what their children are talking about at school. If a child says, I want to change my gender from male to female or vice versa, the school would be prohibited from talking to parents about this situation. There are so many implications with this rule so many negative implications. I just hope folks will speak up and add their voices into this comment period. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, that is really stunning. And I know you talk about this and hostages no more as well to this fight. The thought that parents don't have that decision making and it's coming away from that, it is so scary, I think, to so many people. Before I let you go, finally, I just want to ask you, Secretary Betsy DeVos, I want to ask you about the big issue of student loan debt cancellation, because that is a huge issue. And, you know, on the face of it, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of young people are saying, oh, that's great. On the flip side, many people are seeing this as clearly a way for the Biden administration to basically buy votes from young people. Because if you look at the polls, he's not doing so well with young people. And surprise, surprise, the midterms are right around the corner is that buying votes? Is it all about politics? And who's going to end up paying for this? You don't just suddenly erase tons of money in debt and nobody pays for it. Right. Well, number one, it absolutely is a political ploy for votes. Number two, it's absolutely illegal. The president cannot just unilaterally decide to forgive billions and billions of dollars in student loan debt. That is an act for Congress to take if and when Congress would choose to take that. And the third thing is, it's totally unfair to the two out of three Americans who never attended college or didn't take out student loans and student debt, and to those who have taken out debt and have faithfully repaid, or to veterans who have earned their tuition. What does that say to them? It is patently unfair. It puts a huge burden on taxpayers that didn't want to have the burden and that didn't make a choice themselves to take out debt. And number four, it doesn't even get at or solve the problem. Everybody acknowledges there is a problem with student loans, student debt, 
but it started, their fuel was added to the fire in 2010 when Congress totally federalized student lending and took it all into the federal government itself, kept out all private lenders. So this does not even get at that problem, because even if you said it was a good idea to wipe away a whole bunch of student debt and pass that on to a bunch of other taxpayers, all you're going to do is exacerbate the problem because uh, schools of higher education are going to say, this is great. We're going to get more money because students are taking out more loans today. They're going to take them out tomorrow. And as has been the case with higher education, the cost of higher education has outpaced the rate of inflation by, I think the number is more than threefold. And there is no incentive for them to hold costs down. And this will only add fuel to that fire. So it doesn't solve the problem and will indeed exacerbate it. And it will also put you know, burdens on taxpayers who didn't choose to take that burden on in the first place. It's a very, very fundamentally flawed idea. And I hope that there will be someone or something withstanding that will challenge this in court. And I anticipate that will be the case because I think this will be found to be, as, as I said, totally illegal and won't be allowed to happen. Yeah, it is really amazing. A lot of people do believe it may go to court, but it might not go until what a surprise after the midterms, too. So, uh, so much of this yeah. is politics that we're seeing. Well, you have such an awesome book. Again, it's a big bestseller. It's called Hostages No More. Great to have you here on Protecting America. And thank you for all you do to keep this country safe and to keep our kids safe. You have been right there on the forefront of education, protecting kids and parents and doing the best you can for education in this country. And it's great to have you here, the former Secretary of Education under President Trump, Betsy DeVos. Thank you so much, Rita. It was great to be with you. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.